You know, it's funny. When I ended last week's podcast about riding in Italy with my friends, I was sad. It was as if they'd come back into my life again for a month or so, and I was reliving those adventures again. We were only together as a group only one more time. Ross flew to Minneapolis one summer to ride with us for a few days. We rode around our hills and lakes and showed him what real big mosquitoes really looked like and how vicious they could be. And Maria cooked us up a feast of homemade pasta and sauces and we drank wine and finished with a few glasses of Prosecco Superiore, the grapes that were grown in those vineyards we rode through. I got a call from Ross about 15 years ago. I was living in Florida. He said, Ernest, sit down. I've got some bad news for you. He said he had pancreatic cancer, bad, and was dying. I told him I'd fly out and see him. And I couldn't get away till about three days later. I landed at LAX and called his hospital room. No answer. I called his home. His wife told me he died that morning. I miss all three friends, but I miss Ross the most. His tandem racing bike, his blue pants that he tried to wear in Italy, his excellent company most of all. But he came to life again for me in those stories. This is Ernie again, founder of Anashira. Are you ready for fall? Well, it's here, officially. Are you ready for winter? Well, it's coming, and it'll be here soon. We have wild persimmon trees in these mountains. There are male and female trees. The fruits, they're small, very small. I don't know how you'd ever make a pie or a pudding with them. There's more skin and seed than fruit. There's a tradition around here. You gather these wild persimmon fruits and remove the seed. You cut it in half with a sharp knife. Be careful, it's very slippery. You find inside the figure either of a knife or a fork or a spoon. If you see a spoon, most of the time, winter will bring a bounty of snow. So one of our local soothsayers cut open a hundred of these seeds, and they were almost all spoons, so we may have big snowstorms in these mountains in the near future. We all thank Anashira for supporting these podcasts. You buy our soap, and I can continue to write, record, and publish these stories. So please plan your Christmas lists. Get in your order ASAP for how many bars of Fields of Provence soap you need. As my sister wrote me this week, It was wonderful coming home after three weeks of camping to a hot shower and Anashira soap with its minty scent, a delight for my skin. Well, thank you. Thank you, Diane. So get your order in early. If these big snows do hit, the roads may be blocked and you won't get those Christmas gifts out in time to your friends and family. Use discount code STORIES15 for your 15% discount. So let's get right into this week's story from Anashira.
some time ago that I went to grad school at UC Davis, got a degree in German. Well, I finished and I sat down with my ex-wife, Maria, said, well, what do we do next? And I said, well, let's go move to San Francisco. Let's get a place right in the city. We can enjoy city life and I won't have to study or read a book. So I got my hair cut off, cut off my beard, my mustache, so I could go job hunting. And uh, we went to San Francisco, found a place right downtown on the corner of Post and Taylor Streets. If you know that, that's about two blocks from Union Square. It was probably better shape than it is nowadays. And uh, we rented a small place, a studio. I mean, small. It had basically one room, an annex of a kitchenette. Well, it had a little bathroom with a door on it. And it had one of these beds that comes out of the wall. But it did have three windows and a window seat. And you could look out right over Taylor Street. And uh, you could walk about anywhere. So we moved there and we went looking, found jobs. Not a lot of people were looking for people with experience in teaching German. But I found a job working for a company called Norcross Cards. And it was the exciting job of, I worked mostly at stores that were owned by Emporium, big department store out in California at that time. And what I'd do, I'd stock the racks take orders, bring down boxes of greeting cards all over their stores. That's a heck of a deal for a guy with an advanced degree, isn't it? But, hey, it paid pretty well, and we lived okay. You know, we ate out a lot, great restaurants. The apartment was relatively cheap. We got season tickets to ACT, that's American Conservatory Theater. Great theater, one block from our apartment, walked down. Go out for a drink afterwards. Sundays, we'd walk down to Chinatown. You'd have to walk up past Union Square to Stockton Street, walk under this tunnel, keep walking, and everybody in Chinatown near there went shopping on Sundays, best produce around. Go home, make ourselves a great meal. But these jobs were not challenging and I realized we were going nowhere, so I changed my job. I got a job with this tour company. They gave me a big RV, had murals on the side. I forget what the name of it was, such and such, charter trips. And uh, they had me driving to universities around California, and I'd park this thing, and I'd sit there and sell charter tickets to all over the world to these kids. So I go to Stanford, to Berkeley. I drive to uh, San Jose State. I'd sit there and I'd sell them tickets. I was good at it. And I did okay. But I realized I started getting commission checks and they were a little skinny. And I, I talked to my boss and it was oh, because of this, it's because of that. And I realized, hey, this company was no good. They were going to steal from me, and I'd never see those commissions. So one weekend, Maria and I drove this thing out to Napa, parked it at this state park, and we're sitting there and cracked open a bottle of red wine and 
thinking about, well, what do we do next? And Maria said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to move to Spain. And I want to study Spanish. And I want to finally learn how to speak Spanish well. She said, well, where do you want to go in Spain? I said, well, let's go to Madrid, the capital. And she said, well, where are we going to live? And I said, well, your sister lives there. She's going to school there. She has a big apartment with some people. We can stay at her place until we find our own place. Oh, okay. How are we going to afford to do this? We don't have any money. I said, well, your father gave us that BMW. Why don't we sell the BMW and we'll use that money to go and uh, maybe we can live there for six months on it. And your dad, instead of giving us a BMW car, will have given me an education, the gift to speak Spanish. How's that sound? Well, okay. I guess that sounds pretty good. So uh, we started making plans. Said we'd leave in about a month. So I bought a couple tickets charter tickets from LAX into Frankfurt and uh, put the BMW up for sale and I had this crate built and I packed it up with stuff I figured we need in Spain. I took some books, uh, some boots, some coats, some kitchen knives, a frying pan, who knows what. I We filled it up. It was about maybe five feet long and a foot and a half wide and a foot and a half tall. So filled that th thing up, nailed it shut, and uh, shipped it by sea. So shipping company sent somebody over to pick it up, and he comes up and he looks at it and he says, what is that, a coffin? What do you got, some child? I said, no, it's not a coffin. It's a crate. We're shipping it to Spain. It's stuff I'm going to need over there. So... Sold the car, all done, flew to LAX. And uh, we had to get over the charter terminal, which isn't a part of LAX proper. It's on Imperial Boulevard, so we took a cab over there, went to catch our flight, and they knew nothing about it. Flight was canceled. I said, oh my God, these fly-by-nights. So turns out there was another flight leaving the next day, and Swapped our tickets on that, and we were over in this Imperial Boulevard's not near anything. So I said, uh, Let's not waste money on a cab, let's just walk and find a motel. So we're walking down Imperial Boulevard, these suitcases, 44 pounds a piece, 20 kilos. We're hauling these things down there. <sighs> Found a motel, got something to eat, got up the next morning, back to the back on Imperial Boulevard, schlepping these suitcases down to the terminal. Get there. Yeah. Okay. Finally, airplane is there. Finally get on board this plane. Suitcases are on it. It takes off. We make it to Frankfurt. So we get out at Frankfurt Airport, get our suitcases, and I found a used car line. So uh, we go over to this used car lot. Now, I'm not much of a mechanic, but I found this VW. It's called a VW Type 3. I, I've never seen it in the States. They made it in the 60s and 
70s in Europe. It's called a notchback. It's compact, two-door, simple, four-speed on the floor. And the price was right. It's about 10 years old, so I bought it. And uh, over there, you can buy these international plates. You've probably been to Europe and seen them. They're shaped in an oval. And what it means, you don't pay taxes on the car itself. You can drive them for a year. You just have to get it out and license it someplace to make it legal. We put on those plates and off we go. And we drove down to Switzerland, to Fribourg, which uh, is southwest of Bern. Maria's brother, Arturo, you remember him from those stories in Colombia, was studying at the University of Fribourg. So we appear, we find his address, we go up and bang on his door where he's living. He says, what are you doing here? I mean, he was shocked. We hadn't told him we were coming. We said, well, we came here just to see you, Arturo. He says, no, no, what are you really doing here? So I said, well, we're going to Spain and I'm going to learn Spanish. He says, that's a great idea. So we went out for lunch with him and we went to this restaurant and went down in the basement. They have a game they call, that's in Germany and Switzerland, it's called Kegel, bowling. They have these bowling alleys, automatic pins. So we had lunch, we had some beers. We bowled for a while. We went up on the deck. Beautiful. De it's a beautiful city. It's an old city. And it's on the river. It's on a river. It's called the Serene River. And in German, the name of it is Sannen. And it flows from the Bernese Alps down through Fribourg. So we're sitting on the deck of this restaurant overlooking the river. And we're talking about our lives. We hadn't seen each other for a while. And who would know that the first goat I ever milked, Mama, and my favorite goat, was of a breed, Sanin, which originated in the place where this river flowed from, called the Sanenland, and the neighboring Sanental in the Bernese Oberland, which is the highlands of Bern. I would never have guessed in a million years that four decades later, I'd be milking a goat whose species came from right close to where we were. So, we set off to drive to Madrid. Now, a straight shot from Frankfurt would have been about 900 miles. But we detoured to Bern and Fribourg and added 300 miles to the trip. So, we had another 950 miles to go. So, we drove out of Switzerland through the south of France, past Barcelona, and we hit Madrid. Now, it was a city of three million people, and we f finally found Claudia's address. We drove there, found a spot to park, went to her do door of the building. They're living in what they call the Atico, which is a penthouse. So we uh, push that button, and someone buzzed the door open for us, and we go up the stairs, and some young woman opens the door and she says yes and Maria asks in Spanish for Claudia Bonet well she's gone well when is she due well I'm not sure why do you want to know well I'm her sister and this is my husband and we came here to visit her well does she know you're coming well no she doesn't know we're surprising her so she says all right well you can sit here and wait for her so we sit and wait 
you know, there are no cell phones in those days, so you can't call and say, hey, we're waiting here for you. So finally, Claudia gets there, and we hear her come in the door. And she comes up. She says, what are you doing here? Well, we came to see you. Why? Well, we're moving here. What? Yeah, we're going to live in Madrid. Well, where? Well, we thought we could stay with you for a while. Well, there's nothing but girls in this house and me. Well, that's okay. Uh, I'll be quiet. You'll never see me. I'll be a ghost. How long are you going to be here? Well, a week, maybe two. So she wants to ch she went to check with her roommates. Said, well, I got to get their approval if you're going to stay here. All right, all right. She comes back. And I said, oh, by the way, there's a crate going to be arriving here in maybe four to eight weeks. It's got your address on it and your name. So keep your eyes open, would you? Okay, so we settled into... Uh, well, they had a back, is it, indoor room, small room, small bed. But hey, the price was right. And we went out the next day and we start looking for an apartment. And we found one. It was about as big as the one we had in San Francisco. Now, maybe a little bit bigger. It actually had a bedroom. has a living room and a kitchenette and a small bathroom. And it was in a building, big apartment building on a street called Calle Pintor Rivera. I'll never forget it. The street of the painter Rivera. Now this Rivera was a muralist. He lived in uh, Mexico City, painted lots of murals. Famous. I didn't know about him until we got there. So we settled in. Now, Maria's best friend, her name was Berta La Serna Serna. Her nickname was Tika. Had also recently married. She married some Argentine guy. I didn't think much of him and have anything to do with him. And they lived in Madrid. So she had her sister and her best friend, and they spent a lot of time together. That was great. But before we go any further, I should add a little explanation of Spain in the 70s and how it got there. So this was a Spain under Franco. He was still alive. Spain was a monarchy till 1931. It fell. And along with it, King Alfonso XIII. And the Second Spanish Republic was formed. Leftist government. And it lasted until 1933. And they held new elections, which resulted in a center-right majority. So the leftists were out. And that lasted until October of 1934. And uh, there was a revolutionary, communist, anarchist movement formed. And they rebelled all over the country. Well, the military was pretty strong, and they uh, quelled that pretty quickly in most of the country. But they had gained a stronghold in Asturias. That's in northern Spain. So the army called on a guy by the name of Francisco Franco. He had the rank of general of division. And he was put in command of an operation to go up there and suppress the insurgency. And he did very effectively. He killed about a th one to 2,000 people. Now this insurgency and the way it was put down sharpened the division between the left and the right. Now this ruling coalition collapsed in 1936. New elections were scheduled. So there were two sides of this. There was a popular front coalition on the left, 
communists and republicans, anarchists, and there was the Frente Nacional, the National Front, on the right, conservatives, Carlists, rightists, and the elections were held in February of 1936, and they were won by a narrow margin by the left, growing political bitterness. On, in July of 1936, the African army rebelled, and Franco published a manifesto, and the three-year bloody Spanish Civil War began. Now, estimates vary, but it's likely that there were 50,000 executions in the Republican arena and about 150,000 in the Francoist area. Total of half a million people died during the war. And that's out of a country with a population of 25 million. So Franco took control of Spain and he kept it under his iron grip until his death in November 1975. So it was really a dictatorship still when we got there. Franco was still alive and in full power. Well, the best thing about a Spain full of police is that it's safe. You'd see women at 1 or 2 a.m. alone in the metro, and they're safe. I never worried about Maria being out. Now, I had two high priorities myself. Number one, learn Spanish. Number two, Get used to and comfortable of living in Spain. So I sat and I read Don Quixote de la Mancha, like I told you about earlier. I also read children's stories, fairy tales, and I read the Madrid newspaper, ABC. Fish rap, as my dad would have said. Important to my studies was speaking and listening. Now, I never spoke Spanish with my wife, Maria, her English was excellent, and she didn't like my funking around with Spanish. Uh, her friends all spoke perfect English, so I was on my own here. So I'd go to cafes and bars, and I watched a lot of soccer, and I learned to talk about their team, Real Madrid. I learned the players and their nicknames, Miguel Angel, Camacho, Piri, and the German, Breitner, I kept my notebook and I wrote down words and phrases. And I was a fan of the bullfights. I knew the bullfighters. Paquiri, Miguelin, Elbiti. Madrid had a huge bullring called Las Ventas. And I'd seen my first bullfight in Bogota at the Plaza de Toro Santa, Santa Maria. And I know bullfighting is not appreciated by many people, but I saw it as a living art, a series of artistic moments that you can never recreate them. You just pay attention. And it was a wonderful way for me to work on my Spanish. Another great series of Spanish lessons were TV shows. There were only two TV stations in Madrid at the time. There was La Una, called Primer Programa, and it was the main station. And then there was one called La Dos, which was on only in the evenings. But I listened to the news, and that helped me. But the best thing for my Spanish was talking with drunks. I was always ready to talk to somebody partially inebriated. And there were enough of them around. I could talk of many different subjects. 
I could talk about wines, about food, about wives, about weather, about the problems of big city life, about the problems of small city life, but never, never did I talk about Spanish politics. That was dangerous. And so this was my life for a few months and I needed something more. I needed to find a job. So I had no work permit and in Spain, if you didn't have a work permit, you couldn't work and there's no way I could get one. So I needed something to pay me under the table. Now, Franco, in order to keep a grip on Spain, had limited outside influences. In Spain uh, itself, he outlawed speaking Catalan or the Basque languages. English was not taught in schools and the country was insular. The Spanish economy improved in the 60s and 70s, but they found themselves behind the eight ball. English was becoming the language of commerce, and many people couldn't speak it. There were a number of private language institutes that sprang up. So expats living in Spain could find work teaching English as a second language. So I checked the one ads and I talked to a couple of academies with my experience teaching German. I was in demand. I started teaching half days. I taught mostly beginning and intermediate classes. We had this audio system with native speakers. I thought it was not worth much, listening to tapes and repeating phrases. So I focused my classes on live material. I had businessmen, students, some housewives. It was a mix of modern Madrid. Now, my favorite thing to do in Madrid was to eat tapas. We'd go down to the Plaza Mayor, the main square in Madrid, which was surrounded with classic tapas bars. Each bar would have its specialty. Gambas al ajillo, shrimp and garlic, or mussels, or clams, or croquetas, or a thing called ensaladilla rusa, Russian salad which was like a potato salad with tuna and carrots, maybe some peas, uh, chorizo, sausage, queso manchego, which is uh, manchego cheese. It's much less complicated than going into one of our fufu tapas restaurants here and ordering off a big menu. There, you walk into a bar or restaurant, and each one generally has a specialty. So you order a small glass of beer, una caña, or una cañita, or a glass of wine, red wine, un tinto, uh, and you'd finish your wine, eat what you got, and you go next door to the next bar, and it's specialty, and you'd order a plate of that and have a drink, and this could go on for, well, hours. So I kept teaching classes, but most of my energy went to my own work to improve my Spanish. The owner of the institute where I worked was a young American guy, an entrepreneur, not an educator. And he liked me because I could fill the classroom. I'd learned not to teach my classes at the university level. I simplified the curriculum and I gave people some good old American slang to take home every week. Phrases like, They've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Or, he's as ugly as sin. Or, you got ants in your pants? 
So I spent a few months doing that. And one day the owner says, hey, Ernie, a few of us are taking a trip next week to the festivals of San Fermin. You know what that is, right? Oh, boy, did I? We'll sleep in a tent in a park. We won't spend a lot of money. We'll stay until we run out. No women. You want to go with us? Of course I wanted to go. I'd heard of San Fermin forever. But we can't go there now. We'll do it next week. Oh, some of you may take baths. I don't. I shower. If you do take baths, you may want to wash up with a bar of my Fields of Provence. Enjoy the lavender and mint tones. And pop open a bottle of great Spanish wine. Something like a Garcia Fierro 2015. 12 Crianza is rated 93 points. Or just sip a cup of hot mint tea. Well, join me next week as we return to Iberia for my next story from Anashira. <laughs>